0: Listeners, this is PSG Talk contributor Mark Damon, and this is a PSG Small Talk extravaganza for Sunday, December 2nd, 2018. Um, This is sort of a packed show, a lot to talk about. Uh, I'm going to start with a brief uh, review of the just-completed PSG Bordeaux match, which ended in a 2-2 draw. And then I am going to... uh, Give you two distinct parts on PSG versus Liverpool from two kind of different angles. I talk with Eduardo Razzo and John Olongi about the game from pretty much every angle we can think of. And then I talk with Canarian Blues Chase Hayslip about sort of the Brazilian perspective on what was sort of a made in Brazil victory on Wednesday night. So, I'm going to get the plugs out of the way early in that case. Please subscribe uh, to our podcast, PSG Talk and PSG Talking and PSG Small Talk. Uh, there's not three of them. There's two of them. PSG Small Talk and PSG Talking. PSG Talking should come out pretty soon with another episode covering Liverpool. So, if you want to relive PSG's biggest Champions League victory in a long time, you are definitely in luck. Uh, follow us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook, and look to um, contribute to our Patreon page at psgtalk.com. All right, so PSG are no longer um, perfect. They drew to Bordeaux, a very game Bordeaux, 2-2 at the uh, Stade Manmoud Atlantique. Uh, Goals by Neymar and Mbappe, and uh, goals by um, some guy named Cornelius, big dude, Nice header to make it two-two, and a goal by Jimmy Briand, a league staple. Um, I'm not worried about it. Like the only concerning thing from this game is that Neymar seemed to aggravate the um, aggravate the groin injury, but it didn't look like he was limping all that bad. I think he just kind of felt a pull and decided that uh, sometimes restraint is the better part of valor and he didn't try to play through it and nor should he have played through it honestly he maybe shouldn't have even really played this game but he tried to go out there and he got through a half got a really good goal in the first half off of a another Neymar special started the play in midfield ran through the middle of the field got an assist from Danny Alves and one hopped it into the back of the net Um, so I think he'll be okay. I don't think you'll see him till, uh, Red Star Belgrade. Um, Kylian Mbappe scored the second goal in the, uh, I think it was a little bit after the 70th minute and he came up holding his hamstring. So not great that these injuries seem to just keep happening. And it was kind of looked like it was a cold night. I think the muscles were a little tight. PSG were clearly tired. The players that had played both games the one on Wednesday and the one on Sunday were tired. And Bordeaux really attacked PSG. They played them incredibly physically. The ref let a lot go in this game, a couple potential penalties, but um, nothing sort of overtly egregious. Um, they were physical, they were fast, they were making passes, they were linking up together, they were getting into dangerous situations. And you have to give Bordeaux credit, and Bordeaux knew that PSG were going to be tired, and they ran at him, and they ran at him the entire game, and they bodied him up, and they played physically, and PSG couldn't handle it. This was a very typical league gun game for PSG at times. And you're not going to be perfect. You don't want to see something like this start happening over and over again. Now, if PSG draw away or lose at Strasbourg or I think that might be in the Parc des Princes, so it's not as big of a concern. But if you see them starting to lose to, no, actually, I think that's on the road too. I think Montpellier's at home on Saturday. If you see them losing to Strasbourg or drawing Strasbourg, then you can start asking questions because they still got to go to um, Red Star in Serbia and beat that team, who have yet to lose in the Champions League at home. So it is not an easy task. So this isn't sort of a, oh, we'll just forget this game ever happened. No, I think you have to take something from this and learn sort of how these teams that aren't at your level, but have some talent and some physicality can go out and attack you. And I mean, PSG fans know this is nothing new. This isn't, this isn't really all that surprising, actually, but... You'd like to see them a little better on the counter. I think they were throwing bodies forward way too sort of um, way too sort of aggressively at times. They were getting into that trap of sort of attacking the game in league gun as opposed to maybe sometimes absorbing pressure and countering out. And they were caught in some bad spots in this game. So you just have to be aware of that and you can't you can't let it snowball. And I think what'll help Tuchel is if he rotates in these next two games. I'd rather see Diaby a bit. And Soky played in this game. He was all right. He didn't stand out all that much. But he had his moments. So it was good to see them get a little bit of that rotation going. Alves is still... I'm not even sure he can play wing back at this point. I I think he's got to be a winger almost directly. Because he was getting caught defensively at times too. And the pace that Bordeaux showed at him was just way too much for a 35-year-old guy to handle coming off knee surgery. You also have to say, a little underwhelming from Draxler, they brought in Verratti late in the game, but it didn't sort of change much. That midfield without Marco Verratti is, it's not good. It, It just isn't. And I think we know that and I don't think that's a surprise to anybody but like Marquinhos and Draxler together you just it's not it has to be Verratti and somebody whether that be Rabio, who wasn't even in the squad this uh this week for some reason but that has yet to be explained I'm sure it will by somebody it has to be it has to be Verratti and somebody it has to be Verratti and Marquinhos Verratti and Draxler Verratti and Rabio. it can't be no variety and a combination of those other three guys, because it just clearly, it clearly puts your midfield in a very compromised position when he's not playing, and I think Tuchel knew that, and he had to bring him on, because it just, it wasn't gonna, it wasn't gonna work. Um, it, I thought Chopo Moting, again, he's doing good things for them, he wasn't, like, great in this game, but he, he does things for them, and I think that in this situation, I'd rather him to Edinson Cavani. And I think there's going to be this sort of fake... I'm just letting you know now, uh, this is about uh, a half hour after the game ended. There's going to be a fake controversy about why Edinson Cavani didn't play in this game. And you even started to hear the BN Sports announcers start to pump it up. They were really excited, too, about a potential crack in the armor. But I, I just... This wasn't a game for him. Like... Physically, Bordeaux were just controlling this game. They needed a physical presence. They needed a guy that'll bump around and open up some space for Mbappe. And I thought Chopin did a decent job with that, and it kind of helped them get that second goal. So I don't think tactically there's much they could have done. I just think this is a team that physically needs a break. And as long as they get through Red Star, you have to say that they're season so far to the midway point has been a success because they're going to be the winner champions. They are here on 43 points. The closest team I think is, uh, Leon with 29 or something like that. So they're, they're well on their way to the winner championship, which is one of their goals. And their other goal is to su- survive the group of death. And right now, if they beat red star, They survived the group of death and you assume they're going to win two, if not three of the next four games, maybe all of the next four league gun games. We're not sure, but they're going to win those games or, or draw them. They're going to probably win against Orleans in the Coupe de la Ligue. So all of their, in theory, all of the things that they want to do are still in front of them. So I would say blip in the road outlier game until i see it happen more often then i'll get more concerned all right so without further ado um, let's get out of that game um let me send you to my conversation with eduardo razzo and john olangi when that one ends i'll be talking with chase hayslip so let the psg small talk extravaganza begin eddie finally psg in a must-win game with basically they're Season on the line to a certain degree, yeah. they come through. In yeah. not not they didn't win four nil, but they and I kind of didn't really want them to do that. They won in sort of the most gritty, um, satisfying of ways. I I was I, I was so satisfied with that victory. How about you?
1: I was. It was an emotional one. Like like you said, it's it's been quite a while since they won an important. You know, European match with all the chips. You know, all the chips were on the table here because if, if they lost, it, it, that was it. And then who knows what happens? It, it, it could just spiral into, you know, the the worst. But yeah, they they made they they were able to get they were able to get, 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 get it done. And man, it was just it was just like you could tell it was just like the weight of the world was just lifted off their shoulders after after they won. And and I felt the same because this is all that we've just we've just been wanting them to show up. And these important matches, like, I mean, you could say the Barcelona one, they haven't won a big European match since the 4 nothing. but even then, I, it, like I said, this was this was for all the marbles. If they would have lost, it was, that was it. So just to see them finally win a match where, you know, an important European match, it was just, it was just satisfying to see.
0: It's also almost like that 4 nothing never happened because of how it got turned around. Yeah. And it's like, it's hard to even count that because they weren't able to finish it. And that's the whole thing about the two-leg the two leg tie. The first leg means nothing if you can't sort of hold it, hold it in the second. And I would even go back to, I guess, 2016 when they played Chelsea in yeah. the round of 16. Those were big games they played yeah. well in.
2: Yeah.
0: But they were the favorites. There was no sort of, I think they were expected to win those games. And they were, you know, they were and they did, but this this felt different. It felt like PSG haven't won a game like this in a really, really long time, maybe in sort of working memory of, you know, maybe I think you'd have to go back to the Chelsea game where they went down to 10 men when Zlatan got sent yeah. off. Like, that, I think, is the last game that, you can say, was kind of like this. And it felt like... It felt like they came out, John, and they just had a different sort of attitude. And it's sort of cliche to say, but there was just a different mentality from the beginning of the game, and it held for 95 minutes. It didn't sort of drop. You were used to seeing PSG play well for stretches, and then drop off for stretches. This didn't feel like that. This felt like they had 95 solid minutes of really high-level football.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I, it was it was a convincing uh, performance. And like you said, that goes to that mentality where it's like, usually like for for me the reason i say it's convincing is because it's not like they went down early and had the crawl back it's that they got the early goal and then continued to play at a high level and that like and that, that might sound minimal to some but if you've been watching psg over the years this is a a, a change this is a shift in the narrative this is a, a change of a culture of a mentality. And again, I'm going back to Thomas Tuku. Like he's he's done something different to this roster that includes some of those older uh, PSG players who we were talking about. Like we're not sure if they're going to be able to keep the uh, to have a new mentality when they've been sort of scorned uh, over the past few years, especially when it comes to Champions League matches. So it was it was it was impressive, man. I just just looking at I, you know I'm paying attention to how. Everyone is like putting their body on the line, and there's like an immense, an intense focus with everybody who played, from from the coach to the the, the, the the starting eleven to the substitutions that came in. It was a convincing performance against the runner the runners up from last year's you know Champions League final, and that's that's not anything small. And like you said, like the, the Barcelona match, like that really doesn't matter because of what happened in the second leg. So, for yes, I would say this is one of our biggest wins in the club history, at least that I've seen.
0: It's so important to sort of understand that this this group of players, this sort of core group of players, have gone through some of the, and I'll say it, most humiliating kind of Champions League big match disasters that you will ever see in the game. Like, that's not something that you easily recover from. 6-1 is not something that you just get over the next day or the next month. And I felt that, and I felt this way leading up to the game, they had to show me they could do it. And and then I believed that they could do it. I'm not going to sort of go and say, oh, this time will be different. Because evidence was all to the contrary. But you saw it from the beginning, early goal by Juan Bernat, and we'll get to sort of the individual performances as we go, Neymar fits one in from the box on a rebound, they get that 2-0 lead, and even after the penalty that they gave up, which I I think was like half penalty, half dive, but it was still a penalty, they, they... they just completely shut the game down. And I I want to kind of speak about this defense and the fact that the only shot on target that Liverpool had the entire game was the penalty kick from James Milner. That's it for an entire game. And some of that is Liverpool sort of coming down to earth a bit and sort of regressing to the mean from where they were last year to where they are now. But a lot of that also has to do with Paris Saint-Germain playing really convincing defense. Like, no no hesitation, no false steps, no sort of letting guys get behind them. This was a total defensive performance, first and foremost, Eddie.
1: Yeah, I... I, I was kind of surprised that I only that Liverpool only got one shot off it wasn't until like the 70th minute where um, they put up the stat line that said one shot on target and so I was like I was like wait a minute I was trying to think of all the times PSG I'm not PSG Liverpool got a shot off and I couldn't recall one that you know Buffon had to save or, or hit the woodwork or, or anything like that they were just blocking shots they were getting in the way they weren't Making dumb tackles. That's what I kind of like. They, they were, they were just getting in the way. They, they, I don't know if they just smartened up and said, you know what, we're not gonna, you're not gonna give it a 50-50 chance for the ref to call the dependency in the box. They just, they just got in the way. That's what I kept seeing. They were just getting in the way of a, of a Liverpool shot. And I, like you said, this, de- I've never seen them play this kind of defense. And it just, they just got stronger as the game went on.
0: Yeah, and even in that 4-0 Barcelona game, Barcelona got shots on them. And I think Trapp had to make a couple of saves in that game if I remember. Like Buffon could have pulled the lawn chair up. He he no. and I'll get to him because I think he was I think he was brilliant in certain ways, which I'll get to, but yeah. He, he, he th- this was PSG completely solving the puzzle. And for all of last year, Liverpool were basically able to run rough shot on every you know, team in the Champions League, and Tuchel comes in, and he basically, it's not complicated, and I don't think tactically what they did was complicated. I think they realized that they were going to need to play back three at certain moments in this game. They were going to have to play back four at certain moments in the game, and I think by putting Marquinhos in midfield, it allowed Marquinhos to drop back, push out Silva, push out Carrer allow Juan Bernat to get further up, allow Di Maria to get further up. It was just sort of really simple stuff, but what he was able to do with it was essentially shut down Liverpool's counter. Like, can you remember Liverpool really getting anything on the counter? Can you see them... Do you remember them turning PSG over in bad spots? I mean, it happened a couple of times, but... Tactically, and tactically, and again, I'm not the biggest tactics guy, I kind of feel like you can have, you can, I, I'm one of those people that can, that feels like if you have a good game plan executed poorly, I'd rather have the bad game plan executed well, if that makes sense. Yes. Like if you, if it's a, if it's not the best game plan, but you believe in it, you're going to perform it better than if it's a good game plan that you have no faith in. But this was both. This was a great game plan with 100% buy-in. Yeah, no, uh, oh, I don't
1: know if John wants to speak, but... Um, no, sorry.
0: No, let John... Yeah, well, let me, yeah, John, I think you, you should ahead. jump on that. Go just because you were talking about Tuchel, so just like go into sort of what you saw from that. I, I just thought he was sort of the architect defensively in that.
2: Yeah, well, he said it after the match. He said it was important for them to have two sixes essentially in the lineup with having Marquinhos there in the midfield, where, like you said, it allows him to rotate between in being in the middle of the center back position and then going up a little bit uh, in the midfield. And, you know, just overall, what we're talking about, what we're, what we're, what we're essentially saying is that he outcoached Jurgen Klopp in this match because if you look at the, the lineup that Jurgen Klopp put out there, uh, you have Fabinho, you have Naby Keita. Maybe Keita wasn't 100% fit, but you like, you got to know that when you're going up a guy like uh, Neymar, who's going to be playing in the midfield, essentially getting the ball from that midfield area, a uh, fast player like Di Maria, and, 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 and is able to penetrate the middle, you have to have guys who can run with them. George, oh, Henderson is not running <laughs> with any of these guys. Uh, James Milner is as strong as he is and as smart as he is. He's not running, you know. He's not running uh, with these guys, you know. Uh, he, they they can't keep up with these guys. So I thought from that aspect, there was already a disadvantage, and that's why Verratti was able to boss the midfield essentially by himself. And and again, if we talk and when we talk about Liverpool, right? It's about Salah, Firmino. You know, Sadio Mane is the most important player in that front three and he had the best game out of everybody out of those three and the one opportunity for Liverpool came off of him so it goes back to our defense setup where Tilo Kerr pretty much pocketed Sadio Mane to some degree and if he didn't do it Marquinhos was coming in to help cover. What I liked about the defense was there wasn't a lot of one-on-one defending. Mm-hmm. It was yeah. it was a collective effort. Every time you saw Tilo Caro one-on-one, here comes Marquinhos. Every time you see um, Juan Bernat get caught out of position, here comes Kipembe and Thiago Silva in the middle. Like the one the one video that we've been seeing where. Uh, Salak sort of beats Thiago Silva and here comes Marquinhos and they mm-hmm. do that ferocious chest bump That that's what yeah. we saw throughout the entire match it wasn't any one-on-one defending it was a collective effort and again Tuchel setting it up where they go four in the back and three in the back was was essentially what made the, that performance happen so for me that, that that's what I'm crediting into again Tuchel again just betting on on himself and, and the confidence he has in these guys to put them in the right position against uh, uh you know some 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 good goal scorers and Salah, Firmino, and Mane.
0: I'll say two things, Eddie. One thing I thought was that having those two sort of sixes in the middle there really yeah. took Firmino out of the game. Like you did not call yeah. Roberto Firmino's number very much, and I think part of when they're not counterattacking, they need to have Firmino sort of linking up and getting Mane and Salah, especially Salah, in good situations. I think it's sort of underrated how important Firmino is to sort of Mohamed Salah. Like, without Firmino really able to sort of feed Salah off that, off through the middle, out to the wing... Salah was essentially a non-factor. Like, he barely touched the ball. He couldn't get open. He couldn't get any sort of real shot opportunities. And it essentially came down to Sadio Mane having to go one-on-one on on the wings. And that's not a Liverpool that's going to really be beating any elite European team. And I'll say also that Liverpool just couldn't press PSG in this game. Like... They just, they, again, I think by playing a few long balls early, which they did, and I've been dying for them to do it for years, by playing those couple of long balls early in the game, it allowed, um, it allowed PSG to sort of get a little more space because they knew they could just plop it over the top to Mbappe or Neymar. And that was sort of, I think, an interesting thing early. I also just kind of want to... Give credit to Gianluigi Buffon in this game, and I, and I want to give credit for something really specific, which is he he controlled and slowed that game down in sort of one of the more masterful ways I've seen a guy do it. Like you talk about, well, why are PSG signing this forty year old, you know, forty year old guy when they have two goalkeepers already on their roster who are pretty good? This is why. Because he just there were times where the ball just go into the box, all he'd do is wait for it, pick it up, run around a little bit, point his hand a couple directions, drop the ball, and if there wasn't anything immediately to like if there wasn't an immediate outlet to give the ball to, he just kicked it deep. Yeah. And it's like that's what I've been dying for. It's not pretty, it's not, you know, it's not Pep Guardiola ball. But it's necessary in a game like that, because it completely took Liverpool's press away. Uh,
1: yeah, I, I don't know, I nothing against Ariello, but one I feel more, I don't know, safe is the better word, um, with Buffon back there.
0: Experience it's, matters.
1: Yeah, it does, yeah. it does, it's just that lever, there you go, comfort. I was very comfortable with, with Buffon back there, because... I don't know if maybe he, – he kind of slowed down the game a little bit, like you were saying, Mark, and, I and you know, he he he, he, he has that experience. He'll slow it down for everybody, like, hey, let's calm down a little bit, let's, and then he'll play the ball. And I think that it's just little things like that that we see that we haven't seen before actually do matter, and it's just – it's just something. I, it wasn't until you pointed it out that you know what? I went back and watched the game yesterday, and then uh, yeah, look, he would slow down the game. He will, you know, take his time to deliver the ball to the box, and, and it's just you know like stuff like that actually does matter.
0: It does, and it was so many little things in this game that again, little things add up to big things. Tilo Care, like when he was signed in August, I and I watched sort of his tape and a little bit of some of the games he played. I was like really good prospect. He's got two more years before he could be really really great. And I still think we're going to see some of the some of the bad Telo care in some of these games, but he he is right now like a regular starter, a regular Champions League starter, and he was really really good in this game, John. Like it's it's amazing to think that they were – the first guy they were looking to get was Jerome Boateng. <laughs> and it's like Jerome Boateng at this point in his life cannot do the things Tilo Kehrer is doing for PSG right now. Like that's one of those sort of happy coincidence accident deals where Bayern sort of tried to highball PSG for Boateng and they just said, all right, let's pay – less for a guy who's not proven really yet but he's got the potential and right now the potential's just shining through for the kid
2: yeah it's like all of those comp videos like you said we've seen when we signed them they're all coming to fruition now like we're seeing it in the PSG jersey and again it goes back to him being around other world-class talent like Marquinhos and uh, Chago Silva and Kipembe who's also coming up and, again, I was just impressed with his, with his awareness. Like, he, there was a lot of like, a lot of those, uh, like we said, the Liverpool didn't really have that many shots on target. Some of them could have been if Tilo Kara didn't block some of those shots. Most of the pressure, uh, and what I'm most impressed with is that most of the pressure, again, was coming from Sadio Mane, and he was the one who was responsible for him for the most part. And he pretty much took him out of the game. The one time that he got past everybody, De Maria had to make a stupid tackle uh, <laughs> for the penalty. But other than that, Kerr understands how to play Tuchel's system, and I think that's that goes into why Tuchel signed him. right? he's he's familiar with him playing in Germany. And all of that stuff is important when you evaluate a player and, and when certain coaches bring certain players in, whatever, and I can say the same for Juan Bernat. Like, he, he understands how to play within the system, right? Like, Tukul's seen something in these two players that they can play in, in a back three with wingbacks or a back four if, if need be. And it's just the understanding of the game and the little intricacies and, and he's he's a smart player to be that young. He's very smart, and he's not as risky as um, as Kipembe is per se. But he's also aggressive. He can be that imposing defender. And I was I was just super impressed. He was he didn't put a foot wrong in my opinion in that game. And I thought he was a key part into us pretty much taking Liverpool out of that entire game. It was it was it was very impressive.
0: Yeah, and I I wanted to say about Juan Bernat, like, here's a guy that PSG get for essentially a throw, he was essentially a 5 million euro sort of salary dump. Like, there wasn't much to that move from Bayern's point of view. They just wanted to get rid of the guy, and from what their sort of boss said about him, clearly they wanted to get rid of the guy, and kind of, you know, thought he was no good, or thought he was whatever. But, In reality, you watch the guy play, he's really good on the ball, he doesn't turn the ball over, and I I compare him to, you know, Levin Kurzawa, and... (laughs) I I was going to do the same thing, but But think about it, like, the difference between those two players, Juan Bernat has, if Juan Bernat has that sort of eye for goal, like Kurzawa does, where the thing that Kurzawa does well is he can naturally sort of get himself into scoring positions you know better than most left backs and for you know for that for that skill you would think you know sort of like last year you had Krsou and Bashişe Yuri didn't really have that skill Yuri was more of a hug the touchline put the ball into the box kind of left back Bernard can do a little bit of that too, but he also seems to have this eye for goal and two Champions League goals, man. Like, he's almost already paid for. Like, he's almost already paid for at this point. It's more than I think most people expected to get from him. And if he can do what Levin Kurzawa can't, which is sort of dribble and pass, like, two kind of simple footballing skills dribbling and passing. Levin, towards, you know, Laven last year couldn't do that at all. And if Bernat can do that, man, I, I think it's sort of his job right now. I I, I mean, I think Chris yeah. will get minutes, but I, I don't see why you take Bernat out, especially if you're playing a back three and he doesn't really have to, like, defend all that much.
1: Yeah, no, he's, he's you know, for, I think it was it's 5 seven million, I mean, he's pretty much paid off, I mean, we could have, you know, he he struck first against Napoli, and if only we could have hold on, you know, if we could have, you know, prevented Napoli within those 15 minutes that they were pressing, you know, he could have gotten the game winner, you know, and he gets the first one here against Liverpool. I mean, bless his heart, he tries to defend. It's not pretty, but you know, he gets <laughs> in the way of the ball. Like, I, I I I saw a couple of times against Liverpool, he'll he will do his best to try just to try to get get in the way. And, you know, he's not – I think he learned from his mistake against Liverpool by, you know, doing that unnecessary tackle. But, you know, he's he's doing what Levin Kazala can't do, which is pass, dribble. And, you know, for $7 million, you know, we, we've
2: gotten, you know, I think more than we expected out of him. Yeah. That goal, that goal he scored, like, I don't know if, like, it, uh, Van Dijk tried to clear it. He didn't clear It landed right to his feet. He did one touch towards the middle of the box. He wasn't even looking at the goal. <laughs> that's, that's what was so impressive. He wasn't even looking at the goal, and he just put it where where Alisson couldn't was stuck. Like was he was yeah. like he was stuck in the mud. Like it like if he can do that, like that's all we're asking from um, for for a left back, right? Kazard, that's all he can do, but he can't do everything else like the <laughs> dribbling and passing. But Bernard possesses all of that, and I like his fight. He has like he has like yeah. a, a Verratti... The Hati type of mentality, where he's a small guy, but he's going to work his ass off, and you can't ask for 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 anything better than that.
0: And what's been an issue for PSG for so many years is that they're sort of they've always had they've had the stars during this era, but it's sort of those role player guys who who are never who aren't always you know up to par. And it's like, and notice the Force Four players we're talking about are the players that PSG signed in this transfer window. It's like all four of them have contributed. And I don't think you could have thought that in August that all four of these guys are gonna, you know, come in and contribute. And I kinda wanna get to the fourth one, Maxin Chopo Moting.
1: Yeah. Who
0: he comes in sixty fifth minute or something, sixty second minute, and again, the things he's doing are just like small like role player things. Like, he's the ultimate sort of role player. And he's he's winning balls in the air. Like, Buffon can play a ball up to him, and he can win that duel in the air, and it either sets up some sort of offensive movement for PSG, or it delays enough so that PSG can get defensively set. He's also not turning the ball over when he gets it. Like, he's able to just make that simple pass, out of you know with his back to goal he's able to just sort of settle that ball down and just make a simple little pass to a to a to a player running at him and he's not a terrible defender either and at the end of that game PSG were essentially in a 4-4-2 with Neymar and Danny Alves as the outlets because Alves can sort of control the ball, and he's a good passer, and he can sort of, and he's intelligent enough to not sort of do something stupid in that situation. But Moting went from sort of playing up front to playing on the wing. He's versatile. He can defend with his size. He can win headers in the air. And it's like, these are the things that PSG's role players need to do. And not to take Anything away from the talent of a Lucas Mora or a Javier Pastore, the, those guys were good players, but they weren't good role players. Like, you know, Javier Pastore can't be like a prelim guy. Like, he's a main event guy. He has to be. Yeah. Uh, he has to be playing. He has to be starting. He has to be the focal point of your offense. Yeah. Lucas Mora is the same way. The guy's not a role player. And I think what's happened over the last year or so is that PSG have gotten rid of sort of that deep bench of stars, but they've filled it with some role players who are really, like, useful. And that I find to be sort of the, the maybe Tuchel's best sort of, you know, the best thing he's done over the last three months is sort of getting these role players in positions where they can bring them on in Champions League games and they can be effective.
1: Yeah, they know their role. That's what I like about them. They're not. They know what what's going to be asked to them. And like you said, Mark, they they had a bench full of stars like Pastore and Lucas Mora who just they couldn't be role players. That's not that wasn't in their mo. That's not in their DNA. They're 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 quote unquote star players that need their need, need their you know their amount of touches to be to be useful and successful. And this whole off season or in the summer, they just got guys who know their role. And, you know, that they're not going to do anything else that isn't asked to them. And I think that's what you need out of your bench. You need players that are going to go in, do what's asked to them, and that's it. So, and they're going to buy in. That's what I like. Yeah. They bought in. They're, they're going to buy in. And that's very important as well. You can't have players on the bench not buying into what the coach is selling.
0: Well, look at Joe promoting. The guy's happy to be there. He's not He's not complaining about his playing time. He's like, he was a guy that was, like, was you know playing in stoke you know getting a couple of goals but in a sort of hopeless situation psg pull him out from basically pull him out from nowhere and here he is making contributions in big games i mean the guy can't be happier than that like this is going to be the peak of chopo moting's career and i think he understands that and i think he, he he's able to sort of fit in like that and compare that to a guy like Hatem Ben-Arfa or Hesse Rodriguez who were bought in as role players essentially but thought they were star players yeah. and it's all in that mentality and while you look at it I also want to get into John I want to get into Tiago Silva because I don't think we can um, I don't think we could talk about this game without sort of talking about Tiago Silva in the fact that he was the player of this game and my he was the MVP of the game I think he set the tone, and I've been hard on him. I even wrote a column where I said he should be stripped of the captaincy. I'm not going to completely ignore that I did that. But if evidence changes my mind, evidence will be will change my mind. That's how I am. And I'm not quite ready to sort of um, go away from that because I want to see him do it every big game, not just sort of one big game. But here's a guy that I've questioned, that a lot of people have questioned, and he was amazing. Like, that's the best game I've seen him play in a long, long time. For a club, for a country, anywhere. He was invested, he wasn't afraid, he wasn't backpedaling, he was attacking, he was reading the game, he was aggressive, he was intense. Like, that's the kind of guy that can be the captain of a Champions League winning team but the difference between him and Sergio Ramos and Gerard Piquet and Rafael Varane is that those guys bring it every big game. They don't, you know, they don't take big games off. They don't they don't have sort of bad big games. Silva is and that's sort of the difference between the two. And I think if this is sort of the start for a good year and a half of great Thiago Silva before his contract runs out. John, I'll take this. This Thiago Silva can captain my team.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, y'all already know how I feel about the guy, but I, I'm again, I'm going back to Thomas Tuchel. It's we we've seen Thiago Silva this year. He's having, for me personally, in watching him, one of his best seasons because he has a back. He, they're playing that back three. Like I think that 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 can't go unnoticed because. When we talk about him in, in these big matches, like it's you know David he's he's lined up next to David Luiz like a lot a lot of those years like that we know who David Luiz is. He's lined up with Marquinhos, who I don't know if people realize Chaco Silva used to play the, the right center back, but because Marquinhos was more comfortable there, he had to move over to left center back. So and then Marquinhos is young as well, and Pembe is young. So what Tuchel has done was put the it was it has set up a, a good formation for him to get the best out of Thiago Silva where he can be kind of that sweeper in the middle to dictate everything and you're right Mark I, sometimes he does backpedal a lot and, and and against that against Liverpool we saw him be more aggressive than usual because he understood he had the cover with Kipembe and Karen next to him so i I'm, i I think the guy performs at a high level in most of PSG ma- PSG's matches. When everybody plays bad, he's usually the standout. But again, he's going to be evaluated on the, the large stages, right, in the World Cup, in the Champions League, and he has not done what what Dejan and Ramos have done. But he's, for me, it's it's about the consist- consistency he's played with throughout his his uh, entire career and just his. You know, he's not the fastest center back, but he's just so smart and aware in the box. And um, it, for me, it felt good to watch us win a huge match and then him be the man of the match. Like, that was everything for me. So um, it, it, it was very important for him, I think, as a captain, and as a leader of the team. And he's aware of all the criticism that comes about him. So I think, I hope, I'm hoping that this kind of, continues uh, that uh, stretch of these type of performances in the Champions League because if we're going to win, we need Thiago Silva in that back line. We're going to need that type of um, mentality uh, to go forward in the Champions League. So it's good to see, man. Like I always say, like if we see guys like um, Georgia Chiellini, Jerome Boateng, and these guys aren't young, but they're still out there. Doing their thing, like I, if they if they can do it, I know Tiago Silva can continue to perform on this level even at that age.
0: So yeah, yeah and this and here's a situation where I I almost was wondering if PSG would extend him, and I mean I, I still I still think they have enough quality center backs where they will probably move on from him. Yeah, absolutely. But you it makes you think a little bit if this guy can do this for another four or five years. Like a Chiellini, yeah. you might you might have to have to like think about it. It at least makes it a decision as opposed to I think what it might have been before. Um, Marquinhos playing out of position, kind of, but also being able to drop into the center back position. This was one of Marquinhos' better games. Um, Marco Verratti, um, Eddie, was this a better than normal Marco Verratti performance, or was just the team around him? better set up to sort of accentuate some of those things. Because I don't necessarily think that this was much different from what he normally does, yeah. but I feel like he was in a structure that sort of accentuated it a little bit better.
1: I think it was in a structure. I think we finally got to see... I, I the PSG wasn't a well-oiled machine just yet, but they're close to it, um, and it's nice to see structure, and then we got to see... You know, variety flourish. You know, he was making key passes. He was, you know, he was taking some long ball shots um, early in the game. Uh, you know, he, he he you know, he gave a long ball to Cavani. You know, at the start of the game, he, I think he had that you know that mojo going, and it's nice to see him. And it's nice to see him just you know take take control of the midfield because this was his his opportunity to just make the midfield his because. Nobody on the Liverpool's, you know, no, nobody was going to take over the midfield. Nobody was going to stop him. And, he, you know, he, he kind of knew it. And he was just having, you know, a great night out there.
0: And he, he also had sort of the controversial moment of the game. Oh, and this yeah. is where I feel As like, usual. I feel like, <laughs> and maybe this is just me, but I feel like for all the crappy calls and crappy luck that PSG have had over the years. That's one of those sort of make goods. Like yeah. that was the sort of the cosmic universe balancing itself out a little bit. So that yeah. it's like yeah, should that have been a red? Yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah, probably. But how many times have PSG been on the wrong side of some of a situation like that? And to get away with one it doesn't feel like sort of and, and this is we'll get to this part too which is like the, the Liverpool excuses and the oh, just excuse oh, making man. by these by these Liverpool fans and journalists and journalists who are supposed to again supposed to be somewhat objective but we, we've been down this road before <laughs> but it's like dude PSG have, were you know talk about the six1 that was one of the worst officiated games in the history of the sport. And then you had the stuff that happened a year ago, where Varadi got sent off for basically just talking to the ref. And it's like this was more egregious than what Varadi got sent off for last
3: year.
1: Yeah. And it, it, it reminded me of that on you know, when he went for that tackle against uh, Chelsea against I think it was Eden Hazard, and yeah. then he got sent off for the red card. So it kind of like those are the kind of that's the kind of tackle that. It, you know, kind of give me flashbacks, and they got red card so it's always kind of, like, happy when Verratti was like, here's just, he's just a yellow, but go ahead, Mark.
0: Yeah, that's, like, the thing, like, it kept you in the game, because if they, if they get that red, I think that was before they scored the second goal, so yeah. if they get that red card in that situation, that game completely turns on its head, and then it's like, then all the pressure gets heaped back on PSG, and I don't think they hang on in that game, like... That would have been the season if that official gives them a red card there. So you gotta, you know, give one up for luck.
2: <laughs> it's always it's always Virati though. That's yeah. that's my guy. But it's always him. But I I I, I, I love the way he plays this because it's like he just knows. He he kind of knows what he's doing. And then at the same time, it's like a bonehead. Like what are you doing? Why would you yeah. do that in that moment? Right? Like. And, so-
1: there's always a one bonehead decision by him or, or someone
0: else. Well, he was around Tiago Mata for all those years. So, like, <laughs> you know, I, I it, he, it does rub off a little bit. And I like that. But, again, if he's in a structure where, like, everyone else is working hard, too, mm-hmm. like, that works. for it, it works for me. Like, a lot of the time with him, it was like he would be the one doing all this stupid stuff and making all these hard physical challenges. And everyone else was just sort of jogging around doing nothing, and he looked so out of place. And it almost—it was almost sort of ex- ex- exaggerated more. In this case, it's like, all right, if he's doing it and everyone else is doing it, then you know, all the better. Um, before you know what, let's go talk about the the. We'll talk about the front three, and then we'll we'll get into sort of the excuse making by the, the Liverpool uh, the Liverpool contingency. Um, I would say if you had to rank him one to one through three of effectiveness, Neymar was the best one, by I think by far. I think he I think this was his best European big game performance for PSG by far. Like he, he and he understood the game, he understood when he needed to attack, he understood when he needed to, you know, sort of slow the game down, he didn't make a lot of stupid passes, he wasn't trying to he wasn't trying to do a lot of tricks until it was sort of game over and then it's sort of like the Neymar show. But, you know, when the game was actually on the line, the guy was doing the things he needed to do. And once he realized Liverpool weren't going to put up a fight, then he starts doing the rainbow flicks, which I'm totally okay with. Like I, I, like I don't do that, that shit in the don't do that shit in the 30th minute in a one-nothing I, I, game. But like I if If Liverpool is, if Liverpool, at that point, I like him just styling on the team, styling on a team when they're down and he knows he has them. And that's what he was doing. So I I enjoyed that. Um, Mbappe was dangerous. I didn't think he was particularly great, but he was dangerous. And that's kind of all you need him to be sometimes. And Cavani was, like, he had that opportunity early in the game. I think you brought it up, Eddie. Just that would have been a goal if he had any kind of first touch on it
2: like yeah, any type of
0: first touch. Thank you. <laughs> any type at all out of it all. And oh, yeah. we've seen him do it before and I feel like what's going to happen this year is that he's going to have some really good league gun games and then he's just going to sh- be sort of what he is in this game. And he did some yeah. good things. He was he made some good movement for them. Like he opened up the space pretty well. Yeah. But like as an actual threat to score, he just wasn't that guy. So Whatever, whoever wants to start, just talk about that front three, their front three performance uh, in this game.
1: Uh, I'll I'll take the lead. Um, Yeah, like you said, this was Neymar's first, I guess this was his stamp. You know, he's had good games against, you know, the the lesser opponents like Celtic, Red Star. But, you know, this was was his show against a big European team and a big European match. And, you know, he was controlling it. it. You know, like everything runs through him. Um, Mbappe, you know, he had his moments. I mean, he kinda became less effective when PSG were just looking to defend the lead that they had. So he wasn't gonna be as effective. And then Cavani uh like I, I love the guy. I love him. i know, mean, I feel I feel like I'm hurting myself just like kinda trashing him, but I'm like it just he feels like when when PSG's countering I, I just feel like he's just struggling to keep up with Neymar and Mbappé because when we see them i think it was at the second goal that Neymar was able to chip after um Cavani or uh, Allison Becker you know was able to stop Cavani on that on that touch um it's just the the speed when they're out in open space that Neymar and Mbappé have and I, and i just see Cavani just huffing and puffing trying to keep up with them and And sometimes it leads to him being kind of late or it's just he just doesn't get there in time um but you know it's it's he is what he is at this point and like you said Mark he'll have really good league on games and then he'll just be what he is in 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 Champions League competition
0: John
2: yeah I think uh, Neymar like I think y'all have already kind of touched on that I thought he was brilliant um And the whole back, the whole uh, back hill flip rainbow thing over Shakiri, I think that's a killer mentality for me. Like, you can, you can perceive it as showboating or whatever the hell you want, but. That's a confident player. <laughs> and in that moment where the game is still kind of, you know, the Liverpool can still get a goal there, and he's confident within himself to do that. And I, I like that in him because a lot of players don't possess that. And, again, when we talk about the evolution of football and everybody talks about playing, quote-unquote, proper football, this is the type of football we're going to be seeing Five ten years from now, so you might as well get used to it. And he's the he's leading the charge. Him and Mbappe are leading the charge of that style of football, where it's going to yeah. be flashy. So that that's that. Um, for me personally, Cavani didn't really do much in his game other than help with defense. Because again, PSG were defending as a collective. I was disappointed with Mbappe's second half performance. Yeah, I agree. I I thought it was it was terrible because we we really could have had more goals, but he was just like he was trying to do back hill passes at unnecessary times. He, he he It seemed like he was out of like he he wasn't in, in tune with the game and and the, the the intensity and the level and the magnitude of that match. Like he just wasn't there, and um, it, it was disappointing to see because again he's dangerous every time he's on the ball. He gets the ball out in the wing. He can run at anybody, he can do whatever he wants, but for some reason, he feels like he needs to do something special every time. And, and that goes into his maturation process where he's, he's gonna realize, hey, just make a simple, simple pass back to this, this person. You know, just play the game and, and, and play within the game. And, again, Tuchel noticed that, and he took him out of the game. Because, number one, he looked tired, and he looked like he wasn't focused in the game. So that that's how I would evaluate the front three. Neymar was brilliant. Cavani did what he could have done. Uh, but Mbappe, obviously, was important in the first half and played poorly in the second half.
0: He was... He was trying to do too much, and he he ran into that sort of problem that I think a lot of young players have, which is they don't necessarily always know what to do at the... I think you said this, John, but what to do at the right time. Yeah. And I think he should have been, like, not... He shouldn't have been on the ball. Like, he should have been lurking behind the back... He should have been lurking you know, right on the shoulder of those defenders looking to make runs and just have guys play long balls to him. Like, that's what I would have ha- wanted him to do. Instead, he was trying to dribble through people. He was trying to backheel. And it's like, they needed him to be the outlet. They needed him to be sort of like a coiled spring waiting to just spring behind a defensive line. And I think he'll get that more as he goes along. Like, that's the thing about 19-year-olds. They have great games. They have bad games. And that's where it's sort of the nonsense of, like, Kylian Mbappe being a better player than Neymar. It's like we we as PSG fans love them both equally. They're like, you know, they're like two of our own kids, you know. Yeah. But it you can't even, if you watch the game, you can't say with a straight face that Mbappe's is anywhere in Neymar's. Neymar is a top three player in the world. Maybe at this point top two. And Mbappe right now is top ten. Like it's yeah. th- there's different levels to this. So like it's nothing against Gillian Mbappe obviously, but it's just it's it, it's an unrealistic thing to put on that kid, and it's sort of disingenuous yeah. if you if you think about it. And speaking yeah. of disingenuous, um, Liverpool fans, the only thing they could talk about, not their team, only taking one shot on goal the entire game. Not their sort of lack of defensive cohesion in the first half. None of that. They didn't talk about any of that. They had talked about PSG's embellishment of fouls. Be- and it's like, I don't know. It feels like, do people really care about this? Like, not the people on Twitter or the English media or the English fans. Like, do people around the world genuinely care about foul embellishment? it 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 does it feels like you know it it really does feel like when you're talking about something so in depth and with such minutia it's like Jamie Carragher's like going on television going like these these you know PSG players should be ashamed to go home to their families yeah that was wild like That's do do they things. do, they, yeah, do yeah. people really care this much It's like the people in baseball who care when the guy flips his bat. Like, I don't care. Most people don't care. They just want, you know, it's just shut up and entertain me. Like, I just want to be entertained. And maybe flopping and embellishing isn't the most entertaining thing, but it also sort of helps sometimes. It hurts sometimes. It's not something that I think affects the game. And for Jurgen Klopp to go out there and – disingenuously complain about the embellishment to try to take the heat off his own team for just putting in such a suckful performance like this is what you do now like this is what this is what Liverpool is about you know you'll never walk alone or you, that's what this that's what this is about like we complain we'll never take responsibility for a loss like I, I don't understand this like first it was sur- I think I wrote this on Twitter Foul embellishment is the new Sergio Ramos. Yeah. Like they need to they need to do another uh, they need to do another uh, petition to get Neymar banned from the Champions League. Like Jesus, like Eddie, does this make any sense? Like, do you care about foul embellishment at all?
1: No, I don't care. And and towards the end of the game or the end of the match, the PSG was just trying to kill time. This was all about killing time. Like like. Towards, I think, the last 10 minutes, they were just taking their sweet time just to milk as much as the clock, and time management is a part of sports. I I don't know if Liverpool fans know this. I mean, PSG has the league. Guess what they're going to try and do? Milk as much as the clock as they can. And they did, especially during the injury time, you know, I think when Andy Robertson kicked Neymar, you know, we saw him kick Neymar, and, and I don't know what, you know, I think, I'm not sure if this was a Liverpool supporter or a Liverpool journalist that was commending I mean the guy kicked Neymar and then they're acting as why is he rolling on the floor like he got kicked but um (laughs) like it's just like come on it's just I felt I kind of felt bad for them what happened in the Champions League final with with Sergio Ramos because I feel like Sergio Ramos doesn't have like the track the clean track worker to be given the benefit of the doubt but my god they just it's just now I don't even feel bad for them anymore it's just like it's just a, an avalanche of excuses that I just saw on Twitter, and, and I like that Ed was taking shots. He was, like you said, Mark, in the, your last podcast, he was having a time. He was having, you know, he was enjoying his time on Twitter. And, but it was just, and, it, and then the English journalists, quote-unquote, that are supposed to be non-biased, or at least, you know, have some ground of middle, you know, have some sort of middle ground, and say, you know what, yes, PSG embellished their fouls, but you know, Liverpool only had one shot on target that came from a penalty kick. That's it. Like, th- even the journalists were making excuses. We saw the ESPN FC freaking videos. We saw Liverpool journalists. We saw former Liverpool players making excuses for them. And it was just excuse, excuse, excuse after one. And it's just like, come on, like, at some point, you gotta say, this team only got one shot on target. Their midfield, I mean, us PSG supporters, we look at our midfield and and we, sit, and it's, we think it's a hot mess. But I look at Liverpool's and Jesus Christ, that that was one awful midfield. They had Fabinho and they don't even play him. Instead, they go with Jordan Henderson, who I don't understand why. I mean, they spent.
0: He runs hard, runs. Eddie. He runs hard. That's why he runs really, really hard. <laughs>
1: Oh, it's like, they spent 50 million euros on the guy, and they hardly play him. They hardly play him in Champions League, and they hardly play him in the Premier League. So it's like, you know, what what was it like? Isn't Jurgen Klopp supposed to be this master, you know, tactician or whatever? And, and it's just like, their whole team was just a hot mess. I mean, they spent 75 million on Virgil van Dijk, and he did not pocket anyone on, you know, PSG's front three I mean it's just it, the excuses this this team and and their supporters and, and the journalists it was just nausea it was funny at first just to read all this stuff but then it's just like really are you really gonna make all these excuses especially from like I, I, I have a journalism background so it's like are you, are you really just gonna make excuses and not look at the numbers and not look at the performance to say you know what Liverpool just
2: flat out shit the bed yeah. Yeah. They had they had one shot on target. Yeah. <laughs> Literally, that's my only rebuttal to all of that. Yeah. That, and it was on a target. penalty kick. It, it was, was on a penalty kick. Yeah, we know. You know what I mean, <laughs> like it's it, it's crazy. Like the only the only good thing that uh, that uh, Liverpool did was was James Milner. Like that's the only good. Like he's the only one who played well. Well, and him and Allison.
0: Ma- Mane. <laughs> yeah, and, and Mane. 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 Yeah, and Mane. Played Mane played well. Mane was fine. I thought James Milner was at least,
2: like, he wasn't given Verratti room to operate. There was one time where he put in a tackle on Di Maria, and I don't know if y'all noticed, Di Maria wasn't right for the rest of the game yeah. after that Milner tackle, and, and Alisson made some good saves as well. But it, it goes back to, like, what, what, what exactly are we talking about here, right? I remember last week I was watching uh, Atletico Madrid versus Bar- uh, Barcelona. And after the match, Sergio Busquets gets up there and complains about how Diego Simeone is 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 setting up his team to quote unquote not play. Like they didn't want to play. Like what do you mean by that, right? Like they suited up, they were out there. Their tactics and their shape is to not let you penetrate them defensively and hit you on the counter. That's their game. Just because they don't want to play up and down with you doesn't mean that they don't want to play. Like so that that's that's nonsense. You can't really tell us how to play our game like what what Buffon was doing was time wasting but he did it subtly and and Neymar Thiago Silva like, and some of those things were legitimate like you said Neymar got kicked Thiago Silva tried to uh, clear the ball See? and he landed on his head yeah like <laughs> that, that's gonna hurt so it's it's like all of these excuses but everybody does it everybody does it it only you're only mad because it didn't go well for your team right like that's that's essentially what it comes down to. Like it's, it's because it didn't go well for your team, and this is the only excuse you can find. So I, I don't want to hear it. Like it's, uh, it's nonsense. Plus, I want to
1: add, Mark. I mean, add John. Um, and they lost to PSG. Like an English team lost to P- like that PSG too. Is uni- that, that that's true. That's That 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 you know that's another stab to the
0: well, heart. Not not it's just true. a British, not just a English team. Like yeah. the Brit, the English team.
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: Like it's them that's, and Man that you know, United. It like they don't care if Chelsea lose because most English fans don't like Chelsea anyway. Most English fans don't like Man City anyway. But like Liverpool losing or Manchester United losing, like that's a sting for them. Like that's that's new school football just sort of beating old school football. And let's be clear about something: if Kylian Mbappe clears, if Kylian Mbappe in the first game against Liverpool at Anfield. Kicks the ball 70 yards down the field. Yep. PSG tie that game. And they take a point out of Anfield. So it's not like, you know, it's not like we're talking about, well, PSG won a game at home and Liverpool won a game at home. No. PSG were way more competitive at Anfield than I th- I think Liverpool were in the Parc des Princes. Yeah. So, actually, you know, that's because, yeah. let's, let's talk about the group here as we kind of wind this down. Napoli leads the group with nine points. PSG is on eight, Liverpool is on six, and uh, whatever whatever they're calling Red Star now is on four points. (laughs) So PSG have clinched the Europa League. They can do no worse than that, so there will be no sort of doomsday scenario where they don't get any European football, theoretically. But right now, as it stands, PSG would go through. And all they really have to do to get into the round of 16 is to defeat Red Star in Belgrade, in Serbia. That is not as straightforward a task as you may think it is. And this is not over. Like, we can celebrate this victory, but it means, and, and this is, again, this is sort of shaping up in to be a similar situation to the Barcelona two legs you can have a really good first leg but if you can't finish the job when it matters then all of that is for nothing and if theoretically PSG were to lose against Red Star or draw and get knocked out of the group by a three-way tie then all of this would be for nothing So the pressure is still there. It's not obviously as white hot. But PSG on December 11th are going to have another test. And that is going to a place that's not very friendly. In a stadium that's not very nice. Against a team of players that are not very nice. And they're going to have to get the job done. Now, on a scale of 1 to 10, guys... How confident are you that they get the job done? Right now, I'm at an eight out of ten.
2: Well, I, I'm 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 very confident, just based off of what we did to, to Red Star. You know, granted we were at the at home. Yeah. But I'm, I'm I'm very confident in it, and yeah I I think we'll be able to handle our business if we if if we were able to stand up to that pressure against Liverpool
0: we can handle a Red Star in Serbia. Yeah, and I'll say, what actually makes me even more encouraged was how they played against Napoli at the San Paolo. Because I, yeah, I, I thought PSG were clearly the aggressor in that game. And Napoli had a good 15-minute stretch, which ended up sort of costing PSG the, the all three points. But PSG basically controlled that game. So I, I'm really confident. It's just... It's it's football and things can happen, is all I'm saying. Like we we saw last we saw a week ago when Neymar and Mbappe get hurt on the same day in the international break, and we're all thinking to ourselves, Are you kidding me? Like the worst <laughs> yeah. possible thing to happen happens. They're both end up being healthy and they both end up contributing. But like that's sort of how football works, which is why I'm thinking, Eddie, you'll give me your confidence rating. Yeah. But do you play Neymar more than once in the next three games? So they have Bordeaux tomorrow, which has already been covered in the first part of this uh, episode, which we'll, we'll mix together. Um, they have, I think, uh, they have a game in the middle of the week. I think it's against Amiens. I'm not sure. I, I, I have to figure out, remember who that game is against. They have a game in the middle of the week, and then they have Montpellier on Saturday. And then they have Red Star December the 11th. They, yeah,
2: we play we play Strasbourg on Wednesday. Thank
0: thank you. Thank oh, you, John. Yeah. So in that case, how much of Neymar do you see? How much of Mbappe do you see over the next week or so? Like PSG have a 15 something point lead in the in the in the league on table. They can afford to drop a, a point or two here. Like, undefeated streak, whatever, it's not that big of a deal. Especially, you know, knowing what's possibly at stake here. So, well, how do you think Tuchel handles the next three weeks, Eddie? Also, give me your confidence rating.
1: Yeah, well, with my, I'm going to start with my confidence rating. I'm going to I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with E-Mark. I'm 8 out of 10. I w- I'm, I'm leaning towards 9, though, because yeah. the, the way they're playing, they've gotten better each, you know each game, each Champions League game under Tugel, and it's just, I think, I'm hoping, my gut feeling is that it will all culminate with the with the convincing victory at Red Star, so I'm just, that's what I'm banking on, I'm banking on, yes, there's, there's still going to be a ton of pressure, but as we've seen, they've gotten better, better, and better with each, you know, over the last, you know, three games under Tugel. so I'm hoping on that, Yeah. and as far as playing Neymar, I think, I think we only see him maybe once, Maybe not. Maybe twice, and that won't be just. That will probably be just for like a half or so, just to you know keep um, you know keep the energy going and keep the the juices flowing with him, and uh, you know don't have him going and all cold. Yeah. Um. At, you know heading to Serbia, but maybe a, a game and a half. That's that's at the most. I don't yeah. see him playing.
2: I know, I,
0: I would play him a half tomorrow. I'd play him on Wednesday, and then I'd sit him. I don't think you want him playing a game on Saturday and then a game on yeah. Tuesday, yeah. You, he, you got away with the playing him with the bad uh, groin. I, I don't think you push it if you don't have to. And I, I yeah. think you, you're really careful with him. Um, one more question before we go. And I, I also put this on Twitter. Um, this is sort of a Champions League edition of the show. So, um... I feel like because Real Madrid has, I think, taken a step down. Clearly, like they're still maybe a favorite to win the Champions League, but they're not the favorite. They're not sort of the uh, the far and away. Like this just isn't the same team. This is a pretty open thing here, and that's why I was worried about. I was worried about the group that PSG got, but I was also encouraged because if they got through it i think it would give them a te- this is at the time i thought if they get through this group it will test them enough where they won't be sort of overwhelmed by the round of 16 or the quarterfinal opponent they'll they'll will have been in big games cuz last year they their group was Bayern, Celtic and Anderlecht and Celtic and Anderlecht gave them no challenge so like
2: yeah. I mean, that's that's the thing, right? We always talk about um, how there's a the rhetoric of Ligue 1 doesn't really prepare PSG for the Champions League game. And in hindsight, looking at, essentially, we're in the group of death, right? And it looks like we're about to come out of it. And that's, like, it kind of works itself out where we're getting challenged in the Champions League against big European teams like Napoli and, and Liverpool. So... Uh, I'm with you on that. Like, if we if we manage to get out this group, that's these are the type of performances that that uh, Real Madrid has had over the last three seasons. Like the groups they've been in, the round of 16 and the quarterfinals, all that stuff. Those type of matches is why they they've won the Champions League over the last three years. So, and I would remind PSG fans, like as as happy as we are right now this is only the group stage, right? Like, yeah. we still have the round of 16 to go. And but, and but, again, in hindsight and looking at it from a different perspective, that's also the one thing that's kind of um, motivating for us is like, yo, if we can get through this, oh, we can definitely get through anything else. So it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a double-edged sword in a sense, but I think it bodes well going forward in the Champions League that we're, we're going up against tough opponents in the group leading into the round of 16.
0: Eddie, you got the last word.
1: Yeah. Oh, man. I, I think it is an open tournament. I mean, every team has their flaws. So, like, there's no perfect... Like, you know, Real Madrid was the perfect team with the perfect manager. And they were just... You weren't beating them. If they were on their game, you know, they had... they were The only person that was going to beat them was themselves. They weren't going to lose. So, now, this year, we see a lot more, you know, teams with flaws that can probably you know win it and why not PSG I mean if they can get through this through this um group they'll be well tested and you know they'll 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 be they'll they've played in big matches and they'll be a little seasoned so you know to what so when if if and when hopefully knocking on wood to mark um they are able to uh get through this group and then go against you know much more you know, bigger opponents, like, you know, depending on where they finish, hopefully first, because, you know, as, as much as I'd like to te- play against the Barcelona or Juventus, if we can win this group, let's just win it.
0: No, I'm, I'm telling you right now, they're going to be matched up against Barcelona or Juventus. If they finish, if they, that's just, it's going to happen. Like, it's, yeah. I, I'm fully convinced at this point that the draw is not, it's not random. So if, if we, if we finish second, we are definitely facing Barcelona or Juventus. Yeah, now, if so, we win so the group, so, so. I, I definitely want Manchester City, because I think we could beat them, I think we could beat them easily with our hands tied behind our back, but, I, I that's just, I'm watching nobody, them right now, but yeah.
2: Um, I would also say, nobody wants to face Napoli in the round of 16,
0: either. No, and we wouldn't have to, because we would have already played them in the group stage, yeah. so we would, yeah. we would not get to have to face them, luckily.
2: <laughs> so, um,
0: this is part two, I guess, of our small talk extravaganza, um, on the other side of this, I'm going to be talking with Canarian Blues Chase Hayslip, specifically about the Brazilian effect in this uh, major Champions League fixture, and sort of how this team is shaped by Brazil and how Brazil's national team struggles and all that stuff sort of all co- gives this game kind of a context to it. So that'll be a very fascinating discussion, which um, I hope you enjoy at the end of this. So for John Olongi, you can find him at God for short, G O F, G O D F. You want to do it, John, so that I don't screw it up.
2: <laughs> G-O-D-F-R-S-H-O-R-T. S H O R T. I've already told Twitter, like, yo, let me just get the handle with the four, so I don't have to leave out the O. So yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> what about what about you, Eddie?
1: Uh, yeah, you could find me at on Twitter at Eddie, Eddie nineteen ninety nine Razo, and um. I'm just gonna plug in what I'm working on. I'm working on since transfer season is coming up next month. Since we're already in December today, I'm trying to put together some couple of articles. You know, just doing some some due diligence. You know, on on potential. Hopefully, if we move on, um, you know, potential defensive midfield targets. So I already started on one, and I'm just currently working on it and a, a few more.
0: So uh, wonderful. Um, so we'll be back on the other side with my conversation with Chase Hayslip. Chase, how are we doing today? Good, Mark. Thanks for having me. Always love talking. Yeah, it's always fun when we can have these conversations, and we haven't had one in a while. So this is I, I, you offered to come on, and I, I quickly accepted because I really did want <laughs> to have this conversation this week of all weeks. Uh, you watched PSG play uh, Liverpool on Wednesday. What did you first of all? What were your initial impressions of the of the of the game going into it, and um, what did you feel like PSG's chances were, and how did you sort of feel coming out of it about the team in general?
3: Yeah, so first of all, I should say that this this group in the Champions League hasn't disappointed, has it? It's, every match has been like must see TV. It's been pretty crazy, has it?
0: Yeah. Oh yeah, it's been. Yeah. yeah. It is the best. Grou- it is the best group. I think it's yeah. clearly it's either that group or the Barcelona Tottenham. Inter group that's been really good too But I would say this one's a better Better games, yeah. better quality of Games
3: Yeah, and this there's been so much drama You know, I think Mark going into the match um, One of the things that you and I talked about on Neymar the Iconoclast Was Neymar going to PSG To sort of cement his European legacy, right? And so I've been Thinking a lot about this in the course of this Champions League campaign You know, I, I think PSG has spent a lot of time trying to Find their feet there have been a couple huge errors that have been made by the team that have cost them some crucial points along the way, and we, we can talk about that too. But at a certain point, I think you had to believe that Neymar was just going to – because the team was spending a lot of time trying to find themselves, find the rhythm, that sort of thing, you sort of felt like Neymar in a couple matches was going to have to sort of take the team onto his back and be the creative force that we all sort of know that he can be and sort of push them along. And I think he had done that in a couple matches I, I think he was really good against Napoli home and away he was excellent in both of those matches in my opinion but in this one he was brilliant again but I think finally the team sort of coalesced around him and I think it, and I, I want to get your perspective on this as a as a psG supporter is it felt bigger than just winning this match it felt like they needed to win a match where It was gritty. It was difficult. It wasn't easy. Um, And the opponent didn't make it easy on them. And it felt like sort of as the clock was ticking down in the last 10, 20 minutes, like, wow, this could be a really, really powerful victory for PSG in the context
0: of both this Champions League campaign and potentially even Champions League campaigns to come. Yeah, and um, I think that you're right there. And by the way, you can still listen to the Iconoclast. It's it's still up. <laughs> if you if you're new to joining us, it's it's one of the better things I've done. And Chase was a massive part of that, and his his team. So again, thank you for that. Um, this was this was important because I think this was the first game where I felt like Neymar was in complete control the entire way through. And he was ma- and he's he's the point guard. He's the quarterback of this team. He's the he's the guy that everything revolves around. And he, it goes the way he goes. And I think in the the first half you saw him be aggressive. He was going for he was making runs. He was springing Mbappe down the left wing. He was trying to make passes over the top. He took his shot when he had it, but he didn't force anything. Yeah. And in the second half he recognized sort of what the team needed and they needed him to keep possession, they needed him to draw fouls, which we'll talk about. They needed <laughs> yes. him to be so he, they needed him to sort of slow the game down, not sort of attack for the sake of attacking, and he I think for the first time in a PSG jersey, maybe in his maybe in Brazil he did something similar to that. But as a club player, I feel like this was the game where he sort of just knew what his team needed and did what and was sort of just in that sort of messy level control. And yeah. it, it frustrated the hell out of Liverpool because they could do nothing with it. Like <laughs> yeah. they had no sort of answer for Neymar just controlling the game in the way he did and they couldn't take it back from him. And it's just simple things like playing the ball into the corner, and that when they went four four two with Danny Alves up top with him, like they just they did just smart things. They won they won some duels. They were able to kill time, and it's like that's what the leader and the best player on the team is supposed to do. They're supposed to set the tempo, and I think there were a lot of times, and you can talk to this where I think Neymar can go into sort of, and I, I talked about it in the show in our our podcast, which, when he goes into bull mode. And it's just like attack, 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 attack without sort of thinking about the situation in the game. So I think this was a different game in that respect.
3: Yeah, I mean, I do think that he got whatever he wanted for all 90 minutes, right? I mean, I think one of the frustrating things for Liverpool fans is they they simply couldn't get close to him because every time that they did, they fouled him. Um, and, and, and by the way, I think a lot has been made and maybe we dive into this right now just sort of at the the bud is a lot has been made of the play acting uh from from Neymar but I'll be candid Mark I've watched the tape back I I don't know that I saw a time where I I watched Neymar hit the floor and complain for a call when he wasn't actually fouled I mean he was fouled repeatedly in the game I I mean Milner wiped him out Robertson tried to hurt him which Liverpool fans celebrated, which I think is odd given the Salah uh, situation in last year's Champions League final. I thought that was really bizarre, um, but it just to, just to give my a little bit of, of bias there. But but I think, like I said, a lot was made of the embellishment. But he Liverpool couldn't get close to him. Every time they tried to get close to him and steal the ball from him, they, they 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 fouled him. Um, mm. And so, and I think when they didn't get close to him, he was basically running circles around them for both the goal which he scored, as well as there was a couple times where he had set up, I think he set up Cavani in the middle once where he had done a couple one-twos with Mbappe, um, and, and they got really close, but, but Allison made a really good save. Yeah. Um, and just overall, I really think Liverpool found themselves at about 20 or 25 minutes in realizing that really the only way they could keep Neymar from doing the things that he wanted to do was by fouling him.
0: Yeah, and that goal he scored, was it was a very messy like goal in that yes. you... you you start the attack, you spring it out, you run towards the middle, and you clean up the, you know, you clean up the, the rebound. Like, that's a very sort of, he learned that one in Barcelona. Like, that, that, that was a very Barcelona-like uh, counterattack. Very sort of overwhelming and fast, and you, there's not much you can do to stop it once it gets, you know, once you get that head of steam. And there was a moment before that, it was interesting, like, About two minutes before that, they've essentially run the same movement, the same attack, and Neymar is sort of in a different position so that when the rebound happens, it goes away from him. He adjusts to that, and they basically do the same exact thing, (laughs) except he just positions himself better, and if the rebound comes right to him. It it, it was kind of amazing to watch that you rarely see that sort of that same – sequence of passes that same pattern repeated again but and that he and she were just so good in that situation that they were able to get it again like just i, I really cool stuff to watch and about the, like the embellishment stuff like and i talked about this earlier in the uh, i also had eddie and john on and uh i talked to them and it's going to be on the same show that this is going to be on so i don't want to cover too much of the same ground but does anyone like Mainstream, like, I, I talk, we talk about the comparisons between soccer and the NBA. Do NBA fans really care about traveling? <laughs> like, like, if you watch the NBA, LeBron James will go for a dunk and he'll take two and a half, three steps. He'll go up and he'll slam the ball. And everyone in the crowd is cheering, except for maybe, like, two people who are like, that's a travel. <laughs> I feel like it's that same sort of thing, except these people in... Football just get a bigger platform to, to say this nonsense and like Jamie Carragher talking about they should be ashamed to go back to their families like
3: yeah I thought that was so trying to spit on somebody else it's like so over the top right?
0: just, like but do, do you think that mainstream football fans just people that watch the sport and enjoy it and are buying the Messi jerseys and the Ronaldo jerseys do you think they really care about like foul embellishment it just seems like something. It's like caring about tax law. Like, who cares? Like, really, Chase, who cares?
3: Yeah, I think it's a fair point. I actually wanted to ask you this. I'm glad you brought up the NBA, because I wanted to ask you on this podcast, Mark, because I've been thinking about this the last couple of days. PSG have become, and I just want to point out, I love watching PSG. I am not a PSG supporter by any means. They have a lot of Brazilians. It's fun to watch, but... I have come into a point where I feel like I'm spending a lot of time defending PSG because I feel like the criticism is just so unfair. And my question is this. Do you remember when
0: LeBron joined the Heat back in, like, 20, was it 2010, yeah.
3: 2011?
0: I know where you're going with he, it, yeah.
3: Yeah, he had been sort of the nice guy of the NBA. Everyone really liked him, and he's come full circle now. He's back sort of in that realm now. Yeah. But it was almost like he had – I think you you said it on the Icon Class podcast – it's the sort of breaking of the unwritten rule. He had broken the unwritten rule. And so anything he did at that point was going to be perceived negatively. And so eventually he just threw on the mask basically and said, I'm the bad boy now. And the Heat sort of did it too. Remember they used to wear the all black jerseys. You yeah. know, remember when LeBron broke his nose, he wore the black mask? You know? They sort of went all out. We're the villains now. And like, we're sort of owning this. Yeah. At what point does PSG say, we're the villains now, and we don't give up what you think because we're the villains, and we're still the best. It doesn't matter whether you hate us. It, uh, it's almost we're almost getting to that inflection point, I think.
0: You know what? I think we're pretty much there because <laughs> I think that that was a perfect example of it because they, a lot of times, PSG have tried to play like a very aesthetically pleasing version of football at the expense of playing in a. Effective version of football. Yeah, winning matches. Yeah. Yes, so you you watch a lot of the early Qatari era PSG, and the, the team was built to be Barcelona Junior, like yeah. it was just it was built to be that. And now I think Tuchel's finally sort of gotten them away from that a bit. So now you have you know, and I will we I don't want to really talk to you about Thiago Silva, but you have this sort of gritty performance that. And we, we talked about this before we got on the air. This is the most Brazilian team in Europe. Like, the captain's Brazilian, the vice captain's Brazilian, and the best player's Brazilian. No other team can say that. And this core of Brazilian players has had to deal with a lot in the last five years. Like, more than sort of most Brazilian um, generations. Co- generations, yes. It, it, it will be thought of, depending on what happens in the next two to four years in a very mixed sort of way at the moment. Yeah. And I felt like this game, and we talk about the the fist, the chest bump between Marquinhos and Thiago Silva, there was a real sort of like, I, I felt that was like a real release of something. And I kind of want you to contextualize sort of that. And I think that PSG have maybe not embraced being the bad guys, but they've embraced being the the tough, gritty team that can – they, 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 they want to do that now. Like, they find a joy in it, as opposed to being the finesse team, the Barcelona, we're just going to finesse everyone to death and walk the ball into the back of the net. I feel like this was a game that you saw PSG, and especially those Brazilians, kind of invest in that and just kind of put that in context, because I do think it's important. Yeah, I mean, I think I think you hit the nail on the head, Mark, especially
3: for Tiago Silva. And let's just dive right in. Um, you know, I wrote an article for Yellow and Green Football a couple of weeks ago um, about Tiago Silva's career and about the way that if you consider Tiago Silva basically as a league player, you know, just his performances in leagues and just his overall, you know, body of work, he's probably one of the best center backs of this generation. I mean, he's got everything that you'd want in the archetype archetype of a modern center back he's quick across the ground he's great in the air his distribution's fantastic he's he's been the captain of almost every team that he's been on but unfortunately um it, he has been on the wrong side of a lot of really catastrophic defeats um, all the way back to his time at Fluminense they lose in the final at the Copa Libertadores uh, the six one against Barcelona was at P- when he was at PSG he of course didn't play in the seven to one uh, for Brazil, but he was the captain of the team that capitulated 7-1 um, against Germany at the 2014 World Cup, and so ultimately, you know, so much of his career has been defined by playing well for 89.9 minutes, right, and then sort of playing poorly right when uh, the, the pressure is on, and we saw in the Napoli game, too. He, he play, I thought he played great in, against Napoli for 95% of the game. He was excellent, but he made a huge mistake at the wrong time. And I think that The chest bump, it's, I think it is a recognition from him that that has been sort of the part of his career. And this Liverpool match became sort of a thou shalt not pass moment for him. You know, and I, and I think he, first of all, he was man of the match, no question, against Liverpool. He was the best player on the pitch, in my opinion.
0: Yeah. I mean, Neymar maybe, but... but no, Silva but it was, it was, it was, it was Silva. So, so, yeah. they, 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 they... One shot on target and it was a penalty. Silva was dom- dominant.
3: Yeah. And I think that... I think that when you sort of, as you say, contextualizing it, when you start to put it in the perspective of Thiago Silva's
2: career, what he's gone through, the fact that he's been ushering in a generation
3: of Brazilians that will like and he's been leading a generation of Brazilians that may be deemed a failure, I think that there's real power in this moment both in terms of his play at PSG, you know, how far can PSG go in this year's Champions League, and then this summer at the Copa America for Brazil. Like, will he play for, for, for them? This is last chance to win time for Thiago Silva. It really is. And I think that you got a real sense for that on Wednesday. And I think he stepped up to the occasion for for really the first, not for the first time, but in a way that I hadn't seen having, you know, crowned his entire career.
0: It's complicated with him. And I... And I... For some reason, and I wrote this article like a month or so ago about how I was doubting that Tiago Silva could be PSG's long-term captain. Uh-huh. And I always try, I pull out Civil War analogies for some reason. I don't necessarily know why, but it, it, they always seem to fit, and there's two specific ones, which is like I, I always compla- I compare him to sort of like two Civil War figures, and I hope I don't lose anybody when I do this, but there's a point to this. I compare him to one George McClellan. George McClellan was the union, uh, he was the general of the Army of the Potomac before uh, Ulysses S. Grant. And the guy was brilliant. The guy was, by sort of any technical measure, a great general. But for years, for the first two, three years of the war, he just, he never had a, he couldn't win. Like, he he could maintain... He could keep losses at a minimum, but he could never sort of win that big battle that could have ended the war. Like at a time when he maybe could have, it was very sort of, he was a very sort of hesitant person. He didn't want to get aggressive. He didn't want to put his nose in there. He didn't want to take risks. And I think a lot of people, when they talk about Tiago Silva as the captain, kind of would say some of those same types of things. Yeah. And I also compare him to um, in the, in Gettysburg, where on the third day, um, General Lee decides to take one last sort of charge at the Union line, and it was called Pickett's Charge, and that's why I called my article Silva's Charge, because I felt like here's this guy that knows he's in trouble, but has to go do it anyway. Like, there's just that, there was no confidence in Pickett's charge. It was complete desperation, and the whole army, the whole uh, unit gets wiped out in 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 that action. And I feel like Silva, as that sort of captain, you sometimes feel like he's just walking into a, he's walking into a slaughter. And he yeah. knows he's walking into a slaughter. But he puts on the brave face and he does it anyway. But there's no conviction behind it. These may not be sort of things that are... So these might not be objective things, but they're subjective and they feel right to me. So to yeah. see him do yeah. it... To see him in a roundabout way, this was, that was a long explanation, but to do what he did last Wednesday and he was confident... He was aggressive, he was physical, he was intense, he wasn't making bumbling, silly mistakes when there was nobody around him. Like, this was a guy, he wasn't retreating and trying to hold Barcelona from scoring five goals or whatever the hell it was. And it's like, he had the mentality right to go along with the physical gifts and the tools. And if this is the Thiago Silva that's going to be around for the next five years, he could have kind of a second, I guess you'd say a renaissance a bit to his career, Yeah. from a guy that was seen as, in 2014, one of the best center backs in the world, maybe the best center back in the world, to a guy that's sort of been overshadowed by Ramos and Varane and Chiellini maybe this is the thing that gets him to that where he was, maybe fulfills that potential. And then you have a deal where he may be resigned by PSG, which I didn't think was possible a couple months ago, but now they may keep him around. They may get rid of a guy like Marquinhos and Kimpembe before they get rid of Silva, depending on if he's able to kind of carry this through, but just kind of, I've talked for a while. Kind of just talk about Silva and what you saw from him that was different. Uh, that, yeah. And you kind of agree with my sort of quirky Civil War analogies?
3: <laughs> no, I, I actually do. I think it makes a lot of sense. And I think, um, candidly, the last time I saw Silva this confident was probably during the 2013 Confederations Cup uh, when Brazil won on home soil, of course. And I think, I do think that not enough praise has been given to Thomas Tuchel this week. First of all, he got the tactics completely right. And I actually think that he trusts Silva. And I think that that makes a huge difference. I think you can really sense that when you watch him play. I would say that in the time that Tiago Silva's been at PSG, he's had one really good manager and two, and I'll just be candid, two wet fish handshake managers. Like Ancelotti, I think, is, a, is fantastic. He's great. You're never going to hear me talk bad about him. I personally think Laurent Blanc and especially Unite Emery are pretty weak personalities. Uh, It's just my personal opinion. And especially, I like Unite Emery as a tactician. I think he gets teams to play beautiful football. Beautiful, beautiful football. But I think he is a weak, weak, weak personality. And I think he infused that a little bit into PSG. And I think it was going to take some time for Tuchel to reverse that. When PSG chose to bring in Tuchel um, over the over the summer, it, it was I think it was late late last year actually. What I said on our podcast was I thought it was a perfect fit because PSG were seemed a little bit rudderless. Like what is the what is the direction of the team? What is the sort of ethos of the club? You couldn't bring in someone much better than Tuchel to just say no 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 no. There's no sort of decision making. It's kind of my way or nothing. And you can either listen to me or you can get the fuck out of here, basically. And I think that it's perfect. And it was, it's going to take some time. It was always going to take some time for him to sort of impose his will, basically, on the club and impose his way of thinking on the club. And by all accounts of what's going on behind the scenes, that's still happening. But I think that a year ago, PSG don't win this match against Liverpool. I really don't, with Unai Emery as manager. I think that Tuchel is a very strong personality, and I think he is giving the team strength and confidence that they didn't have before when they are being managed by Unai Emery. And I think Silva is sort of the standard bearer for that.
0: I agree. I totally... I, I, and I, I, I like that point, and I think there was, there's been this talk in the French media about the Brazilian clique at Paris Saint-Germain and how it held all this power... How Thiago Mata was kind of like an honorary, like member of the Brazilian clique, yeah, and yeah, yeah, I saw Lucas Moura and all those guys, and like they got rid of some of them, but there's still a core of that group that is Brazilian. It is, and I think the core of that team is still Brazilian. Like you, you dig into it, the core is Canarian, yeah, Canarian blue. Mm, yep. Plug. Um. So. <laughs> What is it about Tomas Tuchel in your mind that has sort of, besides the mentality, which I, I agree with, but I think there's a little more to it. What do you think about Tuchel has allowed that Brazilian clique to sort of complete? We don't hear about the Brazilian clique anymore. Yeah, You know what I mean? Like, that's not a thing anymore. It was a thing under Emery. It was definitely under Blanc like what is what is it about Tuchel that has just changed that like they, they and it's been rather quickly almost in like 3 months
3: yeah i mean i do think that i think that when you have really really strong leadership I think it's, it's almost cultish, you know what I mean? I hate to even say it in that way, right? But yeah. it's it's almost cultish in a way, right? It's sort of like, everyone follow me. And, and I thought the same when Liverpool brought in Klopp. I thought it was the same. I mean, Liverpool had similar problems. Clicks of the club, they're shipping late goals when they should have been winning matches under Rodgers. There's dysfunction between the players. You know, people didn't trust the coach. And they bring in Klopp, and Klopp's like, no more, my way or nothing. And I think Tuchel, obviously, you know, is is similar to Klopp in a lot of ways. The, the one thing I want to talk about Tuchel is the way that he's getting the best out of Neymar. Yeah. And I think that Neymar is playing some... Despite the fact that he started the year quasi-injured, um, I think he's playing some of the best football I've seen him play in his entire career. And I think it's the way that Tuchel is encouraging him to round out his game and basically become PSG's primary creative force. And before people say he was that last year, I think he was that last year too. But... The amount of times that I see Neymar dropping into deep positions centrally to give Verratti, to unlock Verratti, basically, and to unlock breaks where he's ultimately not going to be involved, I've seen him do that more this year than any other time in his career. Any other time. He's not obsessed with being on the touchline. He wants to play centrally. He wants to get the ball. He's releasing the ball a lot quicker this year because he's playing centrally and because he's surrounded by opposition players. And I think we're seeing the full suite of his game, basically. And I give a lot of credit to Tuchel for that because when PSG played Monaco in that preseason game, what is it? Um,
1: the
0: Trophy it? de Champions.
3: Yeah, yeah. There was When Neymar came on, I think he, played, he was playing a little bit as a false nine. And I remember him playing that position in the first match of PSG season as well. And I Twitter the media blew the fuck up over this, right? Like, how are you playing Neymar's false night? doesn't make any sense. You're not getting the most out of him, yada, 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 all this stuff. But Tuchel knows more than any of these people, right? You know what I mean? And so I think he's inserting Neymar and playing him in different spots, testing him in different places. And as the season goes on, they're learning a little bit about each other. And as the season goes on, he's getting much more out of Neymar, and it's because Neymar is so much more versatile playing in this team. I felt like under Emery, Neymar's role was he's the left left wing player, left sided midfielder. He's the primary creator, but he's going to wait on the left wing to get the ball. He's going to wait to get it, and then he's going to try to dill the right back and create something for his teammates. He is popping up in so many different positions. He's becoming almost unmarkable. And I think that's what was so astonishing about the match against Liverpool on Wednesday. They couldn't figure out where he was going to show up, where he's going to pick up the ball, how he's, he can beat you in so many different ways. And Tuchel's unlocking that. And I think that's really dangerous for the rest of the year going forward because this is when Neymar becomes extremely effective, especially as he becomes more healthy.
0: Yeah, I can't really I can't really add to any of that. I think that's right on. Um we have two more Brazilians to talk about. Um Marquinhos has been asked to do a lot this year. And here's a guy that for a while has been uh sort of pegged to be the next PSG center back. He was brought in from Roma, he was sitting behind David Luiz. Um, when Luiz left, Marquinhos sort of took over, even before David Luiz left, Marquinhos sort of took over that, that right center back spot. Silva bumped over to the left. And Marquinhos, was sort of going to be Marquinhos and Silva. Kimpambe comes along and is a physical force. He's still very raw. Even now, he's still very raw. But is going to be a dominant center-back in this uh, in this sport. And you then bring in Tilo Kerr, who can play right-back, who can play center-back, who is another one of those young guys who has just gotten to be a really effective piece for Tomas Tuchel. And it's put Marquinhos in an interesting spot, where now he's had to sort of convert to a sort of center-back um midfield hybrid in a back three look, which Marquinhos has never done. And I just kind of, what about Marquinhos? And do you think he's sort of adjusting to this well? I feel like he is. Like, I feel like he's not complaining a whole lot. I think he's taken this role. And it's it's interesting to see what Tuchel's done with him. So just kind of go on about uh, Marquinhos.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think I want to point out Center back and center defensive mid are very, very, very different positions. I think that that's sort of an underrated. Because you see a lot of players who will try and play both. It's a very difficult transition. I think Marquinhos has done a really good job. I still prefer him at center back to center defensive mid. It's Of course, it's his natural position, right? So, you know, naturally you'd prefer him there. Uh, but I think he's done a great job. You know, one thing I saw on Wednesday that I really liked was when, when I was um, – when when I was in Paris for the uh, the match against uh, Red Star Belgrade, Thiago Silva was playing the center back, like that you know like this is back three right. He was the center back. Um, but when they played against Liverpool, Tuchel opted to play Marquinhos there a lot in the match. They switched a little bit,
0: but it was I think it was mostly Marquinhos that was playing in that central defender spot. Yeah, just to just to tell you earlier, very early in the game they did that, and that's something Tuchel was working in July. Like, yeah. he would play Lasana Diara as a central defensive mid and then drop him between the center backs. Yeah. thought I'd just throw that in. It,
3: because it mitigated a lot of Liverpool's pace, right? That was a big thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that, I think it makes a lot of sense. And I think, again, it's that fact that Tuchel is always tinkering, testing um, his, his players and sort of seeing what their limits are as professional. And I think Marquinhos has responded really well to it. I think he will be the starter for Brazil at the Copa America. He will be joined by either Miranda or Tiago Silva, in my personal opinion. My biggest concern with Marquinhos, and I want to get your thoughts on this, Mark, because you watch him every week. I don't, I don't I don't, watch him every single week, is that he seems to still have a mistake in him. That's my biggest concern with him. Do you think that that's diminishing over time, or what, what do you think? I,
0: think? I think his mistakes are positional ones, like... You could tell in the first game against Liverpool at Anfield, when he was playing central defensive mid, he was all over the place. Like, he just didn't know where to be. Yeah. And I think that he was actually being too aggressive at times and stepping out into places where he shouldn't. Like, you have to know when to when to step up into the midfield and be aggressive and when to sort of back off. You have to know that sort of, uh, you have to know that dynamic and i think that even when he's in a back 2 i think what'll happen is those full and this is what was PSG's problem for a few years which is their full backs in the back 4 would run up and essentially it would be Silva and Marquinhos having to do all of the defending and when you basically rely on two people to defend You can get away with that maybe in league 1 or against a lesser team, but you can't get away with that against Real Madrid and Barcelona. Like, you can't. So it it, it exposes Marquinhos. I think all of those guys have benefited from the back three because it's just, it's like, it's solidified them. Like, not everybody should be in a back three. Like, Barcelona should probably not be playing back threes. Real Madrid should probably not be playing back threes because they have a good enough midfield where why would you play a back 3 if you have a midfield of like Kroos, Modric and Casemiro. You know what I mean? Like but for a team like PSG that don't have the most convincing midfield in the world, playing a back 3 gives them a little more defensive solidifi- solidification and it allows for uh, they and they have enough going forward where they don't have to worry about not scoring. Yeah. Like, they're going to score two, three goals a game, no matter what they do, pretty much. Even in, like, Champions League games against good teams, they're going to score a goal or two. But if they can just solidify the defense, they'll, they're will they right there. And I think Marquinhos has benefited from this. And it makes him more versatile going forward if he goes somewhere else at some point, which is a possibility. Like, yeah. I mean, he's signed for, like I think, until, like, 2023 or something. But he, you yeah, know... He he's been um, he I I have been impressed with him this year because he's he's had to sacrifice a lot and it yeah, looks I like see, it's gonna it looks like it's gonna pay side. off. Um, last Brazilian we'll talk about. Um, Danny Alves <laughs> hurt his uh, uh, was it a tear of the ACL or was it like an MCL tear? I I. Oh,
3: yeah. Uh, I can't remember the exact injury, but yeah, he got hurt, hurt in, in May. The severity of those lines. He,
0: he yeah. got hurt, and I think the he got hurt in the Co- uh, the the Coupe de France final, if I remember yes, it right. Yeah. And he was out until basically late November, so this was his second game back in some capacity. Right now, I think Thomas Meunier is the preferred winger the the left, right wing back uh full back in that spot. And I I'm just trying to think of what is Thiago because and I'm stumbling a bit cuz I'm just trying to kind of get the right phrasing here. Danny Alves is probably not going to be a PSG next year. Yeah, but I feel like he's still valuable. Like yes. I thought his role against um his role against Liverpool on Wednesday kind of showed his value. He wasn't playing fullback. He wasn't even really playing wingback. <laughs> he was like he was playing he was playing like a straight pure winger. Yeah. And Unai Emery the year before had sort of tinkered with this and had played Dani Alves as a as a as a pure winger. And as I said earlier, by the end of the game, Alves was up front with Neymar, and they were basically. Playing, they were playing essentially. They were playing a striker pair. Yeah. So, like, what is the the shelf life for Danny Alves? It's clear he he. <laughs> it's clear he can no longer be an everyday fullback. Like, it's yeah. pretty clear that's not going to happen. But what I think he can still contribute. Like, I still think he's a good enough veteran. That he can come in here and like give PSG some things.
3: Yeah. So I'm the reason I'm laughing, Mark, when you're talking is Danny Alves never ceases to amaze me. Like, his just over the course of his career. I have thought he was done so many times. Yeah. uh, But he never is. It's just sensational how he continues to sort of reinvent and reimagine himself as a professional. He's 35. That's staggering. You know, it's just crazy to think about, right? Um, you know, there's a couple of dynamics to the Danny Alves thing. First of all, the winger is a great point. Uh, you know, he started his career as a winger at Sevilla, and he was only converted to a fullback when he went to Barca. So, obviously, he has the chops to play in that position. He's never really been a right-back, right, anywhere he's gone. I think the closest he came to playing right-back was actually under Unite Emery. Um, that felt more pure right-back than what he had played in the past. But, and under Cheech, he plays right-back under Cheech for sure, too. But I think he could... Be really valuable playing as a winger. You know, I think the other value for Danny Alves is the intangible. And there's two sides to this that I really want to talk about. The first side is, in my personal opinion, of all the players on PSG, he is the one that is a pure, unquestionable winner. He's won everything multiple times over. He is a fantastic professional. He's been on teams that... Get it over the line when it doesn't feel like it should be getting over the line and so i think his value on the team is that he has the, that real i hate this term but i'm just going to use it quote unquote winners mentality there's no question in my mind that he's the one with the most sort of amount of that on psg's in psg squad currently so i think it makes a lot of sense to keep him for that reason the other thing is neymar listens to danny alves um, Neymar doesn't always listen to his managers Neymar doesn't always listen to his team captain. Neymar doesn't always listen to um, the people that are, you know, like uh, that are feeding him chances, or he's feeding chances. But he does listen to Dani Alves. I um, mean, this has been brought up a lot in the media in Brazil, is how much of Neymar's outbursts during the, the World Cup last summer were brought on because Dani Alves wasn't around. Um, and it's a fair, it's a fair question. I mean, uh, it is a fair question. And so. For those reasons, in addition to the fact that I think Danny Alves still can be a real bit-part player in a team that's thinking about playing three at the back a lot, I think it makes a lot of sense to keep him, not only for this season, but just to see how it goes, You know, see how he adapts. He's old. You know, How's he going to come back from his injury? How's he going to recover? Yeah. But it's just something to definitely keep tabs on. I was impressed with him against Liverpool. He didn't do a lot, but I'll tell you what he did do. Is he made sure they wound down the clock when they had that corner
2: down the right side? That's someone who's won a lot of matches, right?
0: Yeah. Someone who, who who does stuff like that.
3: And I think PSG really need a yeah. need a player like that.
0: in So well, he, he's like a guy who he he to, to keep our NBA analogies going. He's like a <laughs> he's like a guy that just somehow has been in the league for 15 years but still sort of has done everything has played everywhere has won everything but you can put him in a game he's 36 years old you can put him in a game and he can still hit that mid-range jump shot yeah like he can just get the ball you need two points you need a, you need a, you need a three from the corner or something you need a guy that can play defense for 10 minutes on a guy like he just feels like that sort of wily veteran that all like championship teams have. He's like,
3: like Robert Ory. That's how I would describe him. Yeah. Like, remember Robert Ory back in the day? Yeah. yeah,
0: exactly. And PSG have for so long, and I talked about this with John and Eddie, their bench has been guys like Pastore and Lucas Moura, who are not role players. They're a lot of things. They're not role players. They're not guys that understand sort of, okay, I'm in this spot. I have to play a role as opposed to they want to come in the game and score goals. Uh And like Alves in that game, that Liverpool game was just like, hey, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to hold up the ball. I'm going to make sure I don't turn it over. I'm going to kick it away. I'm going to fall down a couple times. (laughs) Like... That's fine that's what winning that's a winning mentality and you say that exactly right and it's kind of I, I want to end on sort of a more hypothetical and that's if this PSG team through all of this sort of adversity and this isn't a big hypothetical but if they win this Champions League this year with this group especially this group of Brazilians what does 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 that do anything to the, their sort of legacy in Brazil? Like, if they win this Champions League, does it do anything for those guys as Brazilians? Not as just as Parisians, but as Brazilians?
3: That's a great question. Oh, man, that's a great question. I would say, mm, well, first of all, So much of the focus will be on the Copa America this summer, I think. So that's a big thing. So if they win the Champions League and lose the Copa America, no one's going to remember the Champions League. They're all going to remember the Copa America. But assuming they win both, you know know what I think? I think it elevates – I think it really elevates Neymar. And I think it it just makes – it's like Neymar, for all that he's achieved – doesn't have sort. He has won a Champions League, and actually, he won. He scored goals in the quarterfinals, semifinals, and final. Only player to do that, and we talked about this on this podcast yes. before. Um, but he doesn't have his Champions League yet, and I think that would elevate him. Even in Brazil, you know, where the focus is is less, I think, on European football. Even in Brazil, I think it would be he. Would, it would be like wow, like he's he has now won everything. You know, what I mean, he took a team to Doris he scored in the final. They won the Libertadores when he was at Santos. Now he took his own team in Europe to the final. You know, presumably he would be a scorer in the final if PSG were to win a Champions League. And he won that too. Uh, yeah. For himself. I, I think it elevates Neymar in a huge, huge, huge way. Now he still needs to win a World Cup. That's yeah. the big yeah. thing.
0: But do you think I, that – yeah, sorry. But yeah. do you think that as the, the core of that Brazil team, which is, again, captain, vice captain, best player – Do you feel like you have more confidence in Brazil going forward that you know that the sort of heart of the team was able to sort of win this Champions League? Like, does it give you more confidence for a team that has struggled in big games like Brazil has the last five years? Does it give you more confidence in them if PSG with this core were able to win a Champions League?
2: Uh, I think, uh,
3: let me think about that. Yeah, I think it does. I mean, I I think, first of all, if they win the Champions League, Thiago Silva and Marquinhos would probably be the center-back pairing at the Copa America just because it would make sense. And I think Neymar, if they won the the Champions League this year, it would mean that he stepped up in a huge way and was a massive leader on the team. And so, yeah, I think it would. I mean, I think, think, yeah, I think it would, because the core is, is the same, um... But it's a long way to go. I, you know, let me ask you this,
0: Mark: Do you think P- where do you think PSG rank among the favorites? I mean, it's a pretty weak field for the Champions League this year. Yeah, I, I've been saying this too. I think this is one of those years where the the Real Madrid dynasty seems to be over. Now they yes. could obviously come back and surprise us, and they're definitely one of the favorites. But I don't think they're obviously the favorite like they were. I say right now I would rank them: Juventus, Barcelona. I'd say Atletico Madrid, PSG, Real Madrid, Man City. I think your winner's going to be one of those six. Now, of course, PSG could lose to uh, Belgrade and this all be for naught, but assuming they they win, they're going to be in the round of 16. Um, I think those are your six, and I I can't see anyone else winning it than those six teams that I just named. So yeah I would put if if you're if you're saying that there are six out of the 16 teams yeah I'd say they're one of the favorites.
3: Yeah. I think so too. I mean I think the, the thing about PSG is they're getting hot at the right time. Yeah, uh, which is good. You don't want to I mean last year they started out like gangbusters they got a shit draw um, you know what I mean out of the group which was ridiculous. It, and so and that's the other thing right so much of this depends on who you draw which yeah. is crazy to think about it because so you know liverpool's journey last year it became more the story was more who they didn't play
0: versus who they did play yeah i think that that is what it comes down to a lot of times for sure yeah so uh chase thank you for coming on um just tell everybody uh where they can find you on twitter or social media and what you guys are working on over at canary and blue
3: yeah absolutely if you enjoyed this segment um this is basically what the Canarian Blue podcast is on a weekly basis, except for we cover more than just PSG. Talk about all the Brazilian players uh, applying their trade across Europe, uh, China, and in, in, in Brazil. Um, so we have two podcasts on Canarian Blue. First is Sell Us Out Talk, which is where we talk about um, Brazilians that are really either in the national team or sort of on the cusp of making it to the national team. And then, of course, we have the uh, the Air Review, which covers the domestic league. If you're ever curious about sort of up and coming Brazilians, Um, Who's the next big thing, uh, that sort of thing. Uh, Listen to that podcast. We we dive a lot into the players and sort of the the history of Brazilian football, particularly, uh, you know know what I mean, in Sao Paulo and Rio. Um, So definitely check that out. Um, You can find me on Twitter at h underscore CB. That's my personal account where I often like to pick on Mark and uh, and talk trash to him. So you can check me out there too.
0: Yeah, (laughs) not not more than usual, but yeah. No, no, no more than usual. No more than the usual. So (laughs) again, Chase, uh, thank you very much Um, for PSG Talk. This has been Mark Damon saying au revoir for now.